Episode 135, Bonus Edition, Interview with Suzanne Cresswell. Educators, is your passion tank running on empty? Look no further. Gretchen of Always a Lesson has a double dose of just what you need. Come fill yourself up with an empowering educators podcast to start your day feeling empowered. Hey, elite educators, it's Gretchen here of Always a Lesson, ready to empower you to reach your potential. You know, I refer to you as an elite educator. I really think that that descriptor defines someone that invests in themselves by listening to a podcast just like this one. That way you can hone your craft. Well, today's a special day because we have a guest appearance. I want to help you reignite your passion and your potential by learning from another elite educator named Suzanne. She's got quite an empowering message. Before we jump into our conversation, I want to share with you a little bit about Suzanne's background. So Suzanne Cresswell, she's an occupational and physical therapist who has worked with unique learners for over three decades, and she really works to educate and provide what she calls proven solutions and strategies to those that parent or instruct or work with unique learners. And by creating this understanding of unique learners and their learning behavior, she has helped parents, teachers, and students themselves find the ability in learning disability. So she is definitely someone with a unique twist on education. I thought she would be a fantastic guest because she's not currently working in a classroom. However, she supports teachers and works with students in a different environment. And I haven't had someone on the show that's done that yet. So this was exciting for me to see her perspective on education and how we are all teachers and we work with different facets of the students and how we are truly partners and how the information from the classroom helps her do her job and the work she does helps the teacher do their job in the classroom. So Suzanne is definitely a wonderful stakeholder in the game of education and I'm just so honored that she's on the show. So let's go ahead and tune in to listen to our conversation. Well, hey, Suzanne, thanks so much for being a guest here on the Empowering Educators podcast. Good morning, Gretchen. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So elite educators around the world are tuning in. They're just eager to learn from me today. So I'm going to get right to it if you don't mind. Okay, great. Why don't you explain how you and I have met each other and how our paths crossed? Well, I think we have actually a lot uh, in common based on uh, the work that you're doing here. We're both very interested in our tomorrows, Mm -hmm. which really are represented by the children, particularly the students. So how we manage... Um, these young people to uh, move forward into our world, I think is really important to the both of us. Um, The educators that I work with, I'm an occupational therapist um, and a physical therapist. I work with children medically in the clinic, in their homes, but also a great deal in school systems as well. Um, And I, I, um, I think our path have crossed through that connection to the educators I work with who, who know you and um, and listen to your podcast. Yes, so absolutely. Forth. I'm glad you brought up that you do school things, but you also have your, would you consider it private practice? Is that how? Correct. Okay. Yes. So I think what's interesting about your role is those are two different worlds. And I don't know, does that mean your approach to helping students or children changes because you're in a different environment or is it very much the same? Oh, I'm happy to 
um, answer that question. That's that's great. Um, it, it's actually really important, particularly in the school systems. I kind of characterize it that that in our society, like every society, we have ways of caring for those that need care, and um, the medical uh, paradigm is the way that we. Um, help to heal and rehabilitate those that have injuries and diseases and illnesses and so forth. And even within that, for instance, the workers' compensation system is aimed to assist someone overcome the injury that occurred at their work. The auto uh, insurance is you know, related to that. So we have these different compartments. The academic model uh, in our state of California is aimed to assist a student in accessing the curriculum. And it's just a slightly different lens that we're looking at. Um, it, it's almost as though it's, um, it's not really the student and it's not really the desk and the work in front of them. But if you can picture this rainbow, this bridge, if you will, between the child and the work, um, it, it, that's our role is to assist with that rainbow and mm -hmm. that bridge, what we can do to um, help the child to be successful within their classroom. Whereas in the clinic, I might be working with a child and overcoming some difficulty with their balance or their gait or their ability to grasp and uh, reach and um, move safely and so forth. Just yeah. a, a slightly different angle, but it, it becomes important because I, th I think we're doing the best we can as a society to um, you know, focus our lens in different uh, aspects of, of the individuals that need assistance and um, like it or not. I mean, there's room for improvement in every one of those paradigms, I think, but um, there, there's kind of this organized structure mm -hmm. in, in how, how we care. So yeah, it's been a wonderful thing to uh, work with the children. It's helped me in all aspects of my life as children hold this very um, raw mirror <laughs> of yourself <laughs> so back <true>. to yourself <laughs> right and, um, but yes yes that's uh, how our paths crossed and my areas of interest so what would you say being in this role would would be the best lesson you've learned whether it's a life lesson or something in terms of educators or in terms of student development what is something that really hit home with you in your work with children children more than any other population that I've worked with are constantly teaching me about themselves. Children are constantly developing, their brain is developing and, and that's called maturation. Really what that is, is, is learning. As the brain develops, as the brain is able to interface all the different complex data, the sights and sounds and smells and textures, the brain begins to develop and understand um, uh, more about the world around them. And it becomes acutely evident when I'm working with uh, the childhood population, if I'm not completely myself as the um, uh, assisting the educator in the classroom or as the um, OT or PT in a medical clinic, unless I'm completely fully present. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can't be distracted, like not even a little bit, not <laughs> even in my mind working out a to-do list. The difference between being fully present and being kind of just uh, assisting, but sometimes giving the child, you know, the, our profile, you know, we don't mean to, but we're kind of talking to them, but they're like looking at our ear, but we can't help it <laughs> because we're doing, we're marking papers or something. That's an entirely different interaction. And so the children have taught me that um, actually it, everyone 
um, does a little bit better when we take the time to fully interact in, in every way, to just be completely present. Um, that's what the children have taught me. And if I have any ability at all in the other work I do in the adult world of physical therapy and um, ergonomics and so forth, working with people's posture at work, it's because children have taught me um, to be completely uh, aware and present when when you're working with individuals. I and that. I noticed that so gifted teachers too, you know, whether it's in their posture, they crouch down or, or that may or may not be their style or in their ability to pick up a couple of items the child just said and reflect back. So the child absolutely knows uh, the value of the words they had and the moment they had with that individual. And, and that value resonates in the child. You can just see. And, and it um, it's like really um, there's, there's some research it, more and more indicating the heart is the brain behind the brain. And by engaging mm -hmm. the heart, you know, engaging the self-esteem, um, it seems uh, serotonin and other important chemicals and hormones that assist the brain function. Um, but you can just see that in the classroom with those compassionate teachers. And that's what I've learned from the students. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you what you think makes an educator great. And it sounds like you're saying compassion and being present and kind of intentionality in working with children, would you say? Yes, that that's exactly, exactly the case. Um, one of the classrooms I work in have uh, a number of individuals with um, on the autism spectrum disorder. And I go from conference and um, uh, research literature and, and so forth. Uh, and we're all doing the best we can to understand autism spectrum disorder um, and we're studying it like like we begin many investigations where we you know identify certain aspects and come up with tables and logs and in how frequently is the child moving the hands in that fashion or or what have you and ticky boxes and so forth and we're trying to develop an understanding but in so doing with these ticky boxes and so forth, it distances, you know, it puts us at a distance where we're looking at the child kind of through a microscope and it, it changes the relationship. And so what I've been noticing with these amazing educators is their ability to um, connect and, and be compassionate and, and be present and because every day brings something different. So, you know, on the one level, you've got your intellectual understanding of what children unique learners uh, like children on the autism spectrum disorder or hyperactivity or neurotypical learners just typical children really um, just how how intricate um, the brain and body system is and and these teachers that are able to tap into that um, usually they've got it it's a calling almost isn't it mm -hmm. it's usually you can tell the teachers it, it's not something that I think ends up in their textbooks and, and right. so forth in, <laughs> in their curriculum. It's something that um, they come into the classroom with and it's, it's a marvel. It's really, I agree. It's, it's fantastic to watch um, these educators, honestly. Well, I feel like I come, come in as this weenie little occupational <laughs> therapy consultant in this woman or gentleman is at the front of the classroom, just teaching their heart out, you know, they're really, really, getting the information across and uh, it's just formidable you know how hard <laughs> these teachers work oh my gosh beautiful it, it is it, it's an yeah. art so I'm glad that you noticed that and give praise yeah. to them 
Well, this yep. podcast is dedicated to teachers of a variety of backgrounds, and we've got new teachers listening, teachers maybe transitioning into a new role or in some sort of distress situation, and then we've got teacher leaders. So if you could give any one of these types of teachers a piece of advice, what would it be and why? Okay, I'd really like to. Um, so pardon me, I'm going to go slightly, can't help it, going to go slightly <laughs> neuroanatomy That's on you. Fine. but. But because I've already hit the love thing and the heart mm -hmm. thing. So we get that what it takes is the compassion and presence. So let me go science for a okay. sec. Okay, so we've got the uh, the brain is a central operating station, basically, of all the incoming data. And we think of the data being sensory, like our, the sense of smell, taste, touch, smell, hearing, um, those five senses, but really, we also we have a sense inside of us so that we can feel gravity operating on our body. That's why we like momentum, roller coasters, we on a ten speed <laughs> bike zipping around a corner. That's um, the gravity center as it happens. It's called vestibular. Uh, and then we have the ability to feel how gravity's acting on our body so that we can overcome so if we're on the bike we can make our muscles and joints flex and move so that we can overcome gravity and stay on the bike and that's a big word called proprioception so when uh, we are first born we are in a buoyant environment moving on to the gravitational pull of the earth's surface so bing gravity our sensory system for our vestibular system is active and then we are able to lift our head and move because we can feel our muscles and joints. Thank you to the proprioceptive system that's now talking to the vestibular system. That connects with the tactile, the sense of touch, so the child can then reach a source of nutrient and emotional support. Now that, right there, right bing there, the vestibular feeling gravity, bing, knowing your body's responding through the proprioceptive system, zing, getting that feedback through the tactile system, ultimately the oral aperture, the lips and the mouth through nursing and uh, uh, a feeding action. Um, that sets the whole brain up for every, every, every action that we do, even when we're reading and writing and using our calculators and using our keyboards, that has to be intact, that ability to feel gravity, our posture respond to it appropriately, and our sense of touch being awakened and active enough. So in between homework, in between um, prolonged seated activities, age appropriate, you know, younger kids need more breaks than larger kids, older kids, more mature kids. Um, that's how come, because you need to reactivate that whole, we awaken that vestibular proprioceptive tactile system. You need to, you, me, all of us mm -hmm. need to, um, that's why we do yoga. That's why we go for walks. We're reawakening our relationship with how gravity operates in the body. It's very calming. Who doesn't feel great after yoga? We're reawakening our proprioceptive system by that movement of our body or that action of, say, massage that, and that tactile input. Um, um, all of these kinds of things we do ourselves to reawaken, recharge. That's why it works. That's why we want to do it in children. So that would be my tip for all across the the ages, different types of students, different types of classrooms, different types of teaching styles, if you can incorporate movement, movement breaks periodically, just slide them in in a classroom-friendly way, a quick game, as Simon says, or what have you. But um, movement works. Movement yeah, I'm just thinking advice. even myself. I mean, we as adults need to just 
change of scenery for a second. And so our kids are definitely needing that as well. That's why. That's why. It's very hardwired in, in our sensory system to do that. And, and we do that naturally as adults. We're not aware that there's a trigger um, occurring that, that we need to take a stretch. Uh, it all happens at this unconscious level for us adults. But that needs to be articulated for children. They need mm-hmm. to be assisted with that so they can advocate for themselves, particularly the book I wrote, Unique Learner Solutions, is talking about learning um, and learning from the aspect of the learning challenged individual. But um, it's learning from um, kind of a neuroplasticity perspective altogether. And it's, it's um, uh, I see more and more educators bringing movement into how they're teaching letters, um, even in the older classrooms, of course, kindergarten, they're moving like a letter A and so forth. But um, other classrooms, teachers are incorporating movement in, in this most beautiful way into their lessons. Uh, a, a butterfly, to remember that, was um, butter, <laughs> like <laughs> toast butter and, uh, you know, a fly. And, and so the class came up with these movements for that are, would be most surprising. You'd think butterfly, you just flutter your right. arms. But anyways, they, they come up with these stories and ways of moving their body, just, just to give an example. But, yeah, yeah, that is a great example. We use brain breaks, and you can just Google different videos for brain breaks, but it's silly movements and songs. And, Good. Um, yeah, so that would be amazing. You are just so knowledgeable. Who do you look towards to learn from? Who's your mentor? Sure. Well, I... Um, I follow a variety of different um, biologists and scientists in in understanding uh, brain theory um, and neuroplasticity. Um, but Oliver Sacks, I would say, would be uh, a, someone that I follow a great deal. But in my field, occupational therapy and physical therapy, um, I'm a 59-year-old woman. And when I was in school was when Jean Ayres, A-Y-R-E-S, um, was um, practicing in the field, and uh, she's a um, scientist in our field who put forward the theories regarding how the sensory system impacts the brain for learning and how movement is necessary for cognition and um, began that whole theory. So I would say that she's probably um, my superwoman, Jean Ayres. That's very cool. Um, even speaking about constantly learning, whether it's from her or not, how do you stay current on what's going on in the educational field, but also in the science field so that you can make sure you're doing your best for kids every day? Right. That's um, essential just to keep uh, keep yourself charged. Uh, interacting with my peers is surprisingly stimulating and asking um questions when when we have our meetings and chances of being together with educators, principals, um, district administrators, colleagues. Uh, It's always very interesting to ask a a question, two words, how so. So when talking to an individual from a different perspective, whether it might be a a physician, I might be talking to about a patient, um, understanding how that individual gets from that perspective to their conclusion I mean, everyone has, well, you know, this happens, so therefore everyone has an idea, but how they reach that idea, how so? What, what, in, what went on that made you arrive at that conclusion? How did your brain get there? That's Sorry of interest that. to me. <laughs> I don't know what that sound was. <laughs> well, I think it was probably the big hook. 
pulling me, <laughs> telling me that's a long answer, but I, it's really important to me. It's it. Um, yes, we want. We, I'm reading scientific literature all the time. I'm taking. Um, there's so many continuing education courses offered in in this area, and I'm flying and and traveling all all the time to to conferences and continuing education. But I, I just like to encourage um, my colleagues and educators too that you know the person sitting right next to you in your office is probably highly stimulating and, and to begin to understand how they are looking at, at the same problems and their perspective. It's very revealing and nourishing to your own brain in terms of another way of gathering information and another way of learning about the world around you, basically constantly educating yourself through that method. Yeah, collaborating with others is a fantastic way to oh, use each other's talents and experiences to just enhance your own life. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you were mm -hmm. mentioning the book you recently wrote. So tell me about a current project you're working on and how it kind of impacts us educators. Sure. Um, I've been writing reports for so long <laughs> for educators and for physicians and insurance companies. And I've always enjoyed that process. It reminds me of writing a Christmas card where I kind of think of the person I'm sending it to and try to make it interesting. And I've, I've just always, it was been important to me to, to um, educate and to be to educate you you can't have to be slightly less than dry and boring slightly so right. um, I've always wanted and so I, I kept my reports and over probably a 10 or 15 year period of time then um, my kids grew up they've gone off to college and so in my daughter's bedroom became my office where I stacked <laughs> reports and began to organize them in how the child is learning so just thinking of how this is impacting their learning not is this autism spectrum disorder is this hyperactivity is this dyslexia just how the child's learning and that's this is the importance where i was describing the vestibular system the proprioceptive system and the tactile system when you can look at a child from these perspectives what they're trying to gain in in this area to stabilize themselves so they can learn I, and sometimes i do mean physically stabilize themselves those children that have difficulty with coordination um then um then then it we're able to look at the rubik's cube from a different perspective and see what mm. that child is needing so the child is wiggling a whole lot and you're just like um stop wiggling right already <laughs> but uh, there's another thing going on perhaps that that child needs that movement constantly vestibular proprioceptive input to charge the brain to be ready for learning and, and certainly I've done that say sitting on the swimming bleachers trying to keep myself awake don't tell my daughter that but <laughs> to, you know to keep my brain alert and so forth anyway so unique learner solutions mm -hmm. um, came from this is when I had that aha moment wait there's something going on here and I'm not sure it's been expressed to me in this fashion before so um, and I've done a lot of reading and learning, so let me organize this further, and um, and it snowballed into this book, Unique Learner Solutions. Uh, we have a website, uniquelearnersolutions.com, and um, I, I'm really proud of the book. You know, one doesn't start out as a gifted writer in Suzanne Cresswell land, <laughs> but when you're writing for 10 years and you're loving w what you're doing, you develop, it just happens, you develop skills. So... I ended up having to rewrite the book as my skill developed so many times right. and I turfed out tons of it. Speak 
to make it, you know, a bedside. I picture a teacher, you know, with a cup of tea beside their bed and just exhausted that it, they would still pick up the book and get through a couple pages, even though they're sleepy. That's that was my target. That's good. Yeah. So I took tons out and on my website are uh, is what I removed each week is a free newsletter um, that you can sign up for and and. One recently was on um, managing um, teacher-parent meetings. And another, the one coming up actually is teaching unique learners how to be grateful and thankful, thinking of um, Thanksgiving coming up. But um, <clears throat> so I have a website, uniquelearnersolutions.com. And um, otherwise, um, the uh, book is... Um, Oh, I've I've gotten some really nice feedback from from the teachers that matter a lot to me. So I'm um, I'm happy. They tell me it's readable, and that that's a that's really important. Yeah, that's an important start. And the information is is interesting and and helpful. So Unique Learner Solutions is the name of the book. Um, I have an ebook to offer your audience, which is also free, and they can get that at uniquelearnersolutions.com backslash ebook oh that's awesome i will put all this information in the show notes so that if someone's listening and doesn't have a chance to write it down they're probably driving or working out right now but i will allow them to go and grab all those links and just learn from you so that's that's so great one thing i do like to ask all my guests is if you can think back to your best all-star we call them teacher moments but for you would be just your work with students tell us about that time Oh, I have the chance to um, be still and watch um, the world go by me. I've had the same job um, for 30 years. And as uh, someone who gets to sit still and see humanity pass by, you can't help but see patterns. and, And you get a certain kind of ability to observe what's going on around. And I've had the chance to to work with children at a very young age, at infancy. In fact, they may come into my clinic as a as a young um, infant with maybe torticollis and and colic and so forth, and then move into preschool with maybe a kind of coordination challenge and um, and fine motor difficulties, and then ha- I see get to see them as the occupational therapist in the school system, maybe down the line, not until high school, and then I get to run into the mom Christmas shopping who tells me their child just um, graduated. <laughs> in fact, I recently had a dad drive by our clinic and um, brought a Christmas necklace um, to tell me thank you because his son just graduated from university. And every time he drives by a clinic, he keeps meaning to stop and say thanks. Um, his son was someone that I met in kindergarten, was in our clinic. And um, so the the moment is is being able to see the this over trajectory and, and to see, to observe the teachers when they start out as fresh new teachers, you know, and then a few by the end of the first year and a couple of years down the line, just watch how they learn to manage their classroom. And I, I, it's just a very peaceful perspective. I get to see um, humanity at its best, I think. Um, and uh, I, I can't believe how hard teachers work. It just makes me want to do my job um, even more so. So the best That's teacher amazing. moments have been um, being at, 
as old as I am to be able to see this over a transitory period of time and right. look look at the work that's that's being done by the parents and the teachers and see these children become and and I I get to be a part of that trajectory and and it's a it's an absolute honor. Yeah, you're a huge part of, part of it. I mean, I'm just thinking about all the obstacles you help students overcome and what a great thought partner you are for teachers that then take the student into a classroom that you know, maybe a challenging way for them to learn or just to move about. And you have so many strategies to share. So I, I really admire the work you do. Thank you. Well, Suzanne, I want to be respectful of your time. So before I let you go, I want to ask you one more question. And that's just how do you reignite your passion and potential for working with students? Oh, laugh with mm-hmm. the children. <laughs> really um, find, uh, j- just find such joy and humor in in these individuals that uh, look at the world from such a fresh, fresh light. It, um, it's so enjoyable to, to just kind of step into the, their world for a moment. And sometimes I might even start to use, like, move into their language a little bit, the younger children and... Um, you know, be walking and, and their feet will, you know, do something. And I will make some joke about, did your brain make your foot, you know, catch mm-hmm. your other foot? And and then now we're on the same wavelength because I am somehow fell into the same way of interacting as they do. And uh, and and they are they're able to see things from such a beautiful light. And it's it's arrestingly surprising. So I I really work to let that laugh come out. That's, That's great. how I reignite. Well, on behalf of Elite Educators Everywhere, thank you for taking time out of your day. I know it's an early morning for you, but we just really took advantage of your knowledge that you shared. So thank you again for doing that. Besides your website, is there anywhere else we can connect with you if we want to learn more or ask some questions? Uh, We're on Facebook and Instagram, and um, I work with individuals online and um, through telephone consultations as well, and all of that information is on our website. Okay, perfect. So we'll just go to your hub, and we'll find all your other ways to connect there. That'll be great. Well, you heard it here, Elite Educators. Start connecting with Suzanne today. Thank you again. We will chat with you soon. Absolutely. Yes. Have a lovely day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wow, wasn't that an empowering message from Suzanne? I truly love how calm and confident she is. She's so knowledgeable about what she does and truly sees the best in every person. I think her perspective on how a child learns and how to reach a child and how to find the potential in the child is really refreshing and energizing for us educators who see things kind of narrow-minded because we get stuck in our own four walls of the classroom and we get stuck in that grind and the testing cogwheel and she just sees things from a different perspective. She doesn't have those four walls of confinement. And so I just felt so much relief that she's in the education game from a different angle and really blessing the kids that she meets with um, with a mentorship mentality, um, someone that is really the guide on the side. And again, Suzanne, thank you so much for being on the show. It was such an honor. And uh, folks, I hope you do reach out to her. She's got a wealth of knowledge. And if you've got students that you think could benefit from some of the strategies she uses, feel free to reach out to her. I'll put all her contact information in the show notes. Just go to alwaysalesson.com. Uh, podcast tab and you'll see her interview there and and all the notes of her website and in her book and 
how to get in touch with her, um, I know that she would be more than willing to help you think through a few things and give you some suggestions. So thank you for listening. And Suzanne, thank you for being on the show. All right, Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's special edition interview podcast with Suzanne Cresswell. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered. This podcast is a member of the Education Podcast Network, a podcast network that encourages you to think about your profession and succeed in the world of education. Whether you're a first-year educator or a seasoned veteran, there is a podcast for you. All of the shows are produced by educators who want to shape education through meaningful discussion and content. So head on over to edupodcastnetwork.com for more details. 